Well, good morning. I hadn't stopped to think about the fact, Susan, that I think the last time I would have heard that song too was when Murray led in at the rally. His uh, a celebration service will be held this coming Saturday out at Joplin at the Orinoco Christian Church. And so, uh, a life well lived. Lots of things to pray about, folks, so keep, please keep praying. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We are in a series on famous people of the Bible. I want to quote an author, a theologian, who said these words. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending upon our concept of God. He goes on to say, the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. So what's your concept of God? Do you think it could really be as simple as that theologian stated, that really the, the problem that we have, the number one challenge that we face, is, is not a cultural problem, but it's, it's from within. That it's just how we perceive God. An unworthy concept of who He is. A, a lack of understanding of how great God is and how big God is. And if we just had a, a different perspective, if we had a different understanding of who God is, that it would change everything. And maybe he's right. Maybe there's some truth to what he says. You know, maybe it's true for the church. I, I think maybe for a lot of Christians specifically, that's probably true, that the basic problem is an unworthy concept of God. And so this morning, I have up here in front of you, I think you can probably see it, a box. <laughs> a box. Most of us have had our share of these in our lives because if we carry them from one place to another, right? And they usually come in about three different sizes, you might say, Small, medium, and large. This I call a medium box. This is my box of preference. All right? Because it's big enough to fit a lot of stuff in, but it's also small enough that I can get my arms around it, which I like. I can manage this box. I can handle it without too much trouble. And you can fit a lot of stuff in that box. I mean, you can put a lot of stuff in there if you're not afraid of taking a risk, okay? And then it's just easy enough to handle. You can handle a medium-sized box, right? Because you can get your arms around it and under it, okay? You, you, you can just, you can manage that. Usually, though, when you're determining what size box you want to use, you have to ask yourself a question, which is, yeah, what am I going to put in it? 
that helps you determine the size of box. What am I trying to fit in there? Because you don't want to put something small in a big box, and you don't want to put something big in a little box. So you say, what exactly is the size of the thing that I'm trying to pack up and move? I like the medium box. But here's what I think a lot of us have done. I think we've put God in a medium-sized box. A box that's not too big, not so big we can't handle it, not so big we can't put our arms around it. I mean, it's big enough, but it's not so big that we can't manage it. So we put God in a box and we say, okay, God, this is a space that I've designated for you. This is your space. This is your compartment in my life. This is your box. And maybe a lot of us were handed a box, maybe by a family member or maybe even by a church denomination. And they said to us, here's the box for God. This is the box that fits God. He'll fit in here. We know how God works. So here it is. Here's God's box. And we kind of accepted it. I'm hoping, though, that as we've been going through this series and as we study the scriptures, that we see no matter how big the box is that we have for God, that it's too small. It's too small. Folks, God doesn't do boxes. All right. It doesn't, it, it, he doesn't do boxes. We may want to keep him small enough that we can manage him and we can handle him and we can fit him where we want him to fit. But if your God fits in a box, your God's too small. Way too small. And here's why that makes a difference, all right? If you have a small God that fits in a box then you're inevitably going to live a life where there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and where there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because your God's not big enough to help you. Just not big enough. Your God isn't big enough to talk to about your problems. Your God isn't big enough to come through for you in a pinch. And if you live your life with a God that's small enough to fit in a box, then inevitably it's just going to be kind of a boring life. A mundane life. Because your God's not big enough to call you to risk anything. Your God's not big enough to challenge you to do something. Your God's not big enough to make some kind of an, a significant impact with your life. If your God's small enough to fit in a box, and you're gonna, what's going to happen is challenges are going to feel overwhelming to you. I mean, situations in life are going to feel hopeless to you because your God isn't big enough to fix them. Your God isn't big enough to come along and heal them and to redeem them. Your God isn't big enough to come into what seems like a hopeless situation and bring hope. So is it possible that we've put God in a box? We've said, God... We want you to fit in this space. And I think we've got all kinds of ways that we label a box like this, okay, that we try to put God into. We say, God, we want you to fit in this box that we've labeled. God could never use me after what I've done. Or maybe we put a label on it that says, God doesn't work that way anymore. Or maybe we label this box that we put God into, 
We've never done it that way before. <laughs> or maybe we label it, I don't have any special gifts box. We've got all kinds of ways of limiting God's power that he wants to see demonstrated in our lives for his glory. And as we've been seeing throughout the scripture, there's just been one example after another of how big God is. And what he can do, I mean, that's what this book, that's what the Bible is all about. About the bigness and the greatness and the glory of God that we look at situations and we may say, well, it's too late. <clears throat> and God says, no, I'm about ready to do some of my best work. Or, or, or we may look at a situation and say, well, they're too broken. And God says, oh, yeah, you just watch how I put them back together. Or we look at a person that seems so insignificant and God says, that's the person I'm going to choose to make a huge impact and change everything. And I hope that what happens as we study together is not that we try to get a bigger box to put God in. I just hope we get rid of the box altogether. God doesn't do boxes. What would happen if our concept of God changed? What would happen in this congregation at New Hope if our concept of God changed? I mean, what if we've had in our mind that, 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 that our box says 200 members? But God says, oh, uh, that's just the beginning. I've got so much more in store. But if we've labeled it 200 members, and when we get there, we think we've arrived, and, and, and we've made it, and we stop. But God doesn't intend for it to be that way. And if there's one thing I've learned is that God wants to do more than I can think, more than, than you can imagine, more than we could ever ask for. He's bigger than we realize. And there's been a lot of examples of this. We've already seen it in Scripture. This week... We're going to see it in the story of David. Specifically, we're studying about David before he became king. So when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to meet David here. This is when he's anointed to be the new king of Israel. Now, David, I would imagine, is probably 14, 15 years old, maybe 16, like a freshman, sophomore in high school age. And that's when he's anointed to be the next king. Now, he's working as a shepherd for his family. And a shepherd, that was not a great job. That was the lowest of the low jobs. That was the chore that you didn't want to get as a kid, okay? And that's what David's doing. And the job description for a shepherd basically read, watch sheep. Okay? That's it. I mean, that's what he did. And so he tried to pass the time like any of us would do in a job like that. And how did he pass the time? Well, he just found some ways to, to keep busy. And here's what he did. He would write songs. He, he had musical ability, musical talent, so he would, he would write songs and <laughs> he would sling rocks. He got really good at the slingshot. I mean, he'd just be out in the field with not a lot to do, watching sheep, and so he'd do a little bit of target practice as well. So he's just out in the fields, watching sheep, singing songs, and slinging rocks. Okay? Really? You ever feel like that's the way life is? 
Now, you're just trying to pass the time, trying, trying to find some things to keep you busy. And that's what David's doing here in 1 Samuel 16, watching sheep, slinging rocks, and singing songs. But it's a really significant day for his family that we're reading about because the prophet Samuel is coming to their house today. And Samuel is coming to anoint the next king of Israel. This is a big deal. David has seven older brothers. And Jesse, his dad, has them all in the house, all spit-polished and shining and everything else. You know, got their resumes all ready. Jesse knows why Samuel is coming. So he says, look, these boys are ready to go. Their resumes have been prepared. They're dressed in their best. And Samuel comes on the scene. He knows he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. He just doesn't know which one is going to be the one that's going to be the king. So he's kind of playing the part of Simon Cowell here, if you know who that is. From So he's got a judge who's going to be the next king of Israel. That's what's happening. So he gets here, and he looks around, and Jesse brings his oldest son before him, and Samuel is like, well, game over. This is it. I mean, this is the guy we want. God, you, you see what I'm seeing here? I, I think you're seeing it, God. I mean, look at his resume. It's impeccable. He's a natural leader. Samuel thinks, I have found the man. In fact, here's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 16, 6. He looks at this oldest boy and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. I mean, if this isn't it, then tell me, because this boy is impressive. He makes a great impression. Everything looks perfect. I, just send the rest of the applicants back out to the field. I have found the guy. And what does God say to Samuel? No, nope. he's not the one. In fact, it's interesting because Samuel, he's seen a lot, but he still has a box. He does. He still has in his mind, here's the type of person God's going to use. He judges basis, based upon what he sees. And so God says in verse 7, don't consider his appearance. Don't consider his height. I have rejected him because the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he says, Samuel, you're looking at things I'm not really paying attention to. You're looking at the outward appearance. You're really caught up in how these guys look and the aura that they have and the, the first impression moment. But I'm looking at their heart and I've rejected him. So Samuel works his way down the line. He goes to the second boy. Nope. Third. No. Fourth. No. Through all seven, and God doesn't say any of them are the next king. And Samuel presumably doesn't know that there's an eighth boy, another brother. So it's probably kind of awkward right here at this moment, right? Because he's like, well, you got anything in the back? You know? Is there anything I haven't seen? And so Jesse says, well, there's one more son, but he's the youngest. And what's interesting about the Hebrew word for youngest here, it can also mean insignificant, unimportant, and small. It's like Jesse is saying, yeah, I got one more, but he's the runt of the litter. All right. He's out in the fields keeping sheep, and Samuel says, well, go get him, bring him in. 
So he calls for him, and in comes David right out of the, the field keeping sheep. He's not dressed up. He's not spit-shined or anything like that. And the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint. He's the one. Rise and anoint. And on that day, David is anointed as the next king of Israel. I cannot imagine what his brothers must have thought. I can't imagine what Jesse must have thought. I can't even imagine what David himself must have thought, okay? But here he is, 14, 15, 16 years old, and he's been anointed the next king of Israel. So if you're putting together David's life as a story, then I think chapter 1 would be God's anointing. He can use anybody. God's anointing, he can use anybody. And he oftentimes uses those that we wouldn't expect because God looks at things differently than we do. We assume God's going to use certain people and we kind of get this message early on that if you want God to use you, we think you got to look a certain way. And God says, no, don't put my anointing in a box. Don't do that. Don't put my anointing in a box and tape it shut because I'm going to use people that you don't think I'm going to use. And the person that I choose is not going to be the person that you would choose. And so we see with David, it's not always who we would think. David comes on the scene, fresh out of the fields, all these older brothers, and here's David, too inexperienced, just doesn't have any much life experience at all. He hadn't really been through that much. And I think our tendency is to say, well, you know what? God can't use me because I'm too old. Really? Remember Abraham and Sarah? When God wants to populate a nation, he chooses the elderly, infertile couple. Or maybe you sit there and say, well, after what I've done, I'm too guilty. Really? Remember Rahab the prostitute? And how God used her for his purposes? Or maybe you say, well, I'm too scared. I'm just too afraid. I, I feel like God's calling me to something, but a lot could go wrong. And Well, you remember Gideon who was hiding from the enemy and God addresses him as a mighty warrior? Or maybe you say, it's just too hard. It's too much of a hassle. It's too hard given the circumstances of my life and the situation that I'm in right now. Things are just much more complicated than they used to be. It's too hard, too much of a hassle, too many reasons why it won't work. Really? Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and elevated to vice president of Egypt. And so this is the story of the Bible, folks, that God can use anybody. And you'll continue to see it in, other, in, in the rest of the scriptures. He's going to choose a poor teenage girl named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. He'll choose a tax collector, a sinful tax collector named Matthew that everyone had written off. He chooses a fiery fisherman named Peter. He chooses a persecutor of Christians named Saul to write most of the New Testament. God can use anybody. In fact, Carl Henry, a theologian, wrote these words, and I think he's really on to something here. Here's what he said. Carl Henry said about the next generation of Christian leaders. This is what he's talking about. Next generation of Christian leaders, and he says this, many of them are probably still pagans. 
<laughs> you ever stop and think about that? He said, who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up C.S. Lewis or Chuck Colson, who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin bumper sticker. The next Charles Wesley might be a profane, womanizing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house at the moment. And the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. What a thought. And you think, well, no, God's not going to use someone like that. Really? Been reading the Bible? You think it's too late for you? Have you not been paying attention to the people God uses and the people that God chooses? Don't put His anointing in a box and tape it shut. God will use whoever He wants to use. God can use anybody. And no one thought David would be the one, but God says, He's my choice. Now the next chapter, I think, of David's life would probably be described or titled, God's Opportunities. He can, use, he can do anything. You keep reading in David's life, and after he's anointed king, he just initially goes back to being a shepherd and slinging rocks and singing songs and Pretty much what he's doing, but he's been anointed king. So I think it would have been a very strange season for David to know you're going to be the next king, but you're killing time by being a shepherd. And it had to have been awkward at the family meals, you know, for the other ones to just be staring at him. And, and he's thinking, God, when are you going to do something? What are you waiting for? When's my big opportunity going to come? Every day he must have had these thoughts. Okay, maybe, maybe it's today. And maybe he even had some doubts. Because it sure would seem like a long ways from the throne when you're watching sheep out on the hillside. So he goes back to being a shepherd. Then in chapter 16, we read that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And Saul is left feeling depressed and overwhelmed with fear. One of his attendants say to, say to him, Hey, the, that youngest son of Jesse, we, we've heard that he's really good with music. And maybe some music would help you feel better, Saul. And Saul's like, okay, bring him in. Let's see what he's got. So... David comes in, plays the harp, sings songs, and as a result, Saul and David form a close relationship with each other. David's kind of doing this on the side because he's still continuing to be a shepherd back home. By the time you get to chapter 17, David's likely maybe 18 years old now, probably not 20 yet because he's still not old enough to fight, evidently, because he's not in the army. And his dad, Jesse, calls him in from the fields and says, hey... The Israelites are fighting the Philistines, and your brothers are out there. Go check on them. They are, they're probably hungry. Take them some provisions. Take them some food, and be careful, but go take some food to them. So David goes out to the battlefield where the Philistines are fighting against the Israelites, except there's no fighting going on. Instead, he comes up on the scene, and there's this giant named Goliath who's mocking the armies of God. And the Philistines have challenged the Israelites. They've said, look, here's what we want to do. We'll put our best warrior, Goliath, also called a ringer, okay? We'll put him out there against your best warrior, and whoever wins this cage match fight to the death, whoever wins, the other nation will become slaves to the victorious nation. So a lot's on the line. A one-on-one -on -one fight. And David hears this giant mocking the armies of God. And the Bible says in verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard it, they were they're terrified. They're scared to death. 
But when David hears the challenge, here's what he says in verse 26. This is kind of a liberal paraphrase. He says, well, who's this pagan Philistine anyway that he'd be allowed to talk that way? That he'd be allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this giant? Who does he think he is? Somebody needs to shut him up. Again, a liberal paraphrase. <laughs> so he goes to Saul, and he says to Saul, chapter 17, verse 32, uh, Saul, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. And Saul's like, you're my harp player. I can't send my harp player out there to fight this giant Goliath. And David says, no, no, I've got this. And Saul says, no, no way. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and win. You're just a boy. He's a man of war since his youth. You, you can't do it. Put God in a box. But Saul really didn't have a choice because no one else is volunteering. So he finally consents after David persists. And Saul says, okay, well, at least wear my armor. And David tries it on. He says, nah, this doesn't feel right. I'm not used to it. So he goes out there against Goliath, this giant. And what's he got with him? The sling. You know the story. And do you see what God's doing here? Finally, the opportunity comes for David, and I'm sure for years he felt like he was wasting time out in the fields, singing songs and slinging rocks, but what happens? What does God use? God uses David to sing songs or music in chapter 16 and to sling a rock now. And so God uses what David, I'm sure, didn't think he would use. He's out there thinking, well, shouldn't I be preparing? Isn't there a king preparatory class that I ought to be involved in? But no, David goes out to fight Goliath. Goliath sees him come and says, come here, little boy. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals. And David says in verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. And notice how David puts this. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I'll, cut, I'll kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, and not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. David didn't really have a box for God. And he tells Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off. That's what I'm going to do. And he runs at him. I love that part. He runs. He charges at Goliath. He slings a stone, hits him in the forehead. The giant falls. He pulls out Goliath's own sword, cuts off Goliath's head. And you know the end of the story is the Israelites root the Philistines. But back in verse 11, Saul and his army were terrified and scared. Why? Because they put God in a box. And if that's how small God is, then you become consumed with fear because you're always asking the what if question. What if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? What if the economy doesn't recover? What if it is cancer? What, what if my loved one dies? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if there's another terrorist attack? What if the next tornado gets a little closer to my house? What if, what if, what if? And when your God lives in a small box, what if consumes your life? 
And all you see is the what if of the situation. David doesn't see the what if of the situation. David sees the who is of the situation. This isn't David versus Goliath. I mean, from, from a child growing up through Sunday school and everything, and this story being taught, I knew the story well, just like you all do, always presented as David versus Goliath. Wrong title. David calls it God versus Goliath, and it's no contest. Not even close. There's really no fight here. And so in verse 33, Saul says to David, it can't be done. It's ridiculous. That's what you say when God's in a box. We can't. Can't do it. God can't do that. God can't heal. God can't forgive. God can't use. God can't, he can't, he can't redeem. He can't provide. And David says, oh yeah, he can. The Lord will do it. And everyone on that day sees the giant Goliath and the opposition. But David sees something different. He sees God. He sees how big God is, and he knows this much about God, that God can do anything. And you just read through the Bible, and you see how God works. You say, well, it was just a coincidence that he was singing songs and slinging rocks, was it? Was it a coincidence that Samson just got put between the two support poles of that pagan temple? Was it a coincidence that Joseph was put in prison with the cupbearer to Pharaoh? Was it a coincidence that Ruth just happened to go out and find herself in the fields of Boaz gathering food? Is all of that coincidence? God uses anyone to do anything at any time. God can do that. I'm just saying David didn't know that he was training at that time. You may not know that you're training right now, but God's training you right now for something, something later. He's not going to waste the challenges that you're facing in your life. He's not going to waste those things. God's big enough to take whatever you're going through right now and use that for training and preparation for good and for His glory later on. That's just the theme of the story, the theme of the book. And you see it as you study the life of David. And maybe the way we most, we're most likely to put God in a box is when it comes to God's timing because we want God to fit into our calendar. We want God to operate by our timetable. So typically we say, God, we believe who you are, and we believe that you can move and act and do anything, and here's how long you've got to do it. Right? We want him to fit into our timetable. You've got this much time to work, God. I mean, think about it. David's anointed king. Then it's some 15 plus years later, he actually becomes king. And so there's a long, long time of waiting there. And about 10 of those years after he defeats Goliath, he spends on the run being hunted like a wild animal by King Saul, who has found out that he's the next anointed king of Israel, and Saul's out to hunt him down and kill him. So for 10 years, David is hiding in caves, yet he's constantly singing of the goodness of God. In fact, in Psalm 27 and verse... Well, I didn't write my verse down here. It's on the screen, 14, there you go. David says, take courage, take courage and wait on the Lord. It takes courage to wait on God. Doesn't seem like a courageous thing to do, but it is. David says, it's courageous to wait on God. And so if your God is in a box, it's pretty hard to wait on him because you think, I got to do something, I got to make something happen. And David just waits on God. 
So in 2 Samuel 5, verse 4, it says, David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 40 years. Became king at age 30. So let me ask you as I draw this to a close. Do you believe God can use anybody to do anything at any time? Half a dozen. The rest of you, are you still thinking about it, mulling it over in your mind? Basic problem with Christians and with the church today could be an unworthy concept of God. Our God's too small. So let me put it this way. If your God's job description says, make my life more comfortable and convenient, your God's too small. If your God says things to you like, well, don't take a risk, play it safe, then your God's too small. If your God's job is to obey you and do what you want, when you want him to do it, if your God is a genie that, that exists to grant your every wish, then your God is too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if you keep his calendar, your God's too small. If your God is a guy with a closet full of suits and ties, and if your God loves Americans more than he loves Iranians, if your God's always saying come but never saying go, your God's too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that isn't in the budget, if your God needs a a certain president to be in office to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation, then your God's too small. If your God's never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken away your breath because of his power, then your God's too small. If your God's dream for you is to retire and spend a couple decades taking it easy, then your God's too small. If your God always agrees with you and always thinks your opinions and preferences are the most reasonable, if he always likes what you happen to like, or if your God is a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Catholic, if your God is whatever you fill in the blank, then your God's too small. If your God is just fine, it's just fine spending an hour with you a week in church each week, then your God's too small. If your God says, oh, you've worked hard enough on your marriage, I just want you to be happy now. Your God's too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed, of lust, of gossip, and says, that's eh, no big deal, you're doing better than most people. Your God's too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up and your family is too fractured. If your God says you're too young, you're too old. You're too broken, you're too poor, you're too late, you're too guilty. Your God's too small. If your God fits in a box, your God's too small. God doesn't do boxes. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision this morning, and I don't know what decisions you may need to make based on what we've looked at this morning. But I pray that if anything, you would make a decision to know God as he really is. 
He's not small. God can do anything with anyone at any time, which means he can even use you and me. If you have a decision you want to make for Christ today, you can meet me down front as we stand and as we sing.